Welcome to the Hello Hello World podcast with me, Candice Mollard. Hello Hello World is available wherever you stream podcasts. Please be sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. On today's episode, I am speaking with my beautiful and lovely friend, Rebecca Clark. Rebecca is a proud zookeeper at the Toronto Zoo. She gives a lot of insight on zoos and her work that she does there. Rebecca and I have had many, many discussions and have um, come to the conclusion that our past and our childhood and leading up to our adulthood, we faced a lot of the same traumas. So we've connected that way. I don't know what I would do without my friendship with her. Um, Rebecca has faced one trauma that I have not experienced and she speaks about that uh, wholeheartedly in this episode. I hope you learned something. Grab yourself some water and thanks for listening. Rebecca. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How's it going? I'm good. Is the weather nice over there? It's nice here. Yeah, it's nice and sunny. Good. This is weird, like talking through this. <laughs> I've never used these. No. Oh, first time for everything, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, so today I'm going to be stretching a little bit out of um, my actual community, but Rebecca is a part of my forever community. So um, I, I decided that it didn't matter that she wasn't from or even ever been to Windsor. So today I'm speaking with one of my bestest soul sisters ever in the entire world and I'm so happy that you're here Rebecca oh thank you thanks so much um you had day off today right yes yes what did you do today um, let me guess you read <laughs> no I, I haven't read at all today which is surprising <laughs> <laughs> um I got up early I worked out uh meditated and uh, my sister's been going through a bunch of health issues, so I went and was helping her with the kids. So it's been busy. Yes, you're always busy. You're definitely always keeping busy. Um, <laughs> yes. Meditation, is it something that you've done for a long time? Um, I've done it on and off for a while, but I'm trying to be more intentional with my practice. And uh, I actually... I'm trying to increase the amount of time that I've been meditating. So I did it for a while where I was meditating for like 10 minutes a day, but I've been trying 30 minutes and I feel like I can like drop into that space a lot, a lot better with the longer time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's important to stay, to start small, especially with something that can be that intimidating. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then gradually moving yourself up. Do you like guided meditation or you do it uh, silent meditation? Yeah, I prefer I prefer the silent meditation, but I've I've done both. Do you have you been using your crystal bowls at all? Um, I haven't in a while. Uh, since moving, they've kind of just been packed, and I haven't unpacked them. And like, I want to set up like a designated space for them. So that hasn't happened yet, but I'm super excited to be able to play with them again. Yeah. I mean, it's a little hard, I think, to get yourself meditating while using them, but I've done some guided meditations with the sound of crystal 
bowls singing bowls and it's yeah it's it's quite wonderful I love it um and with meditation obviously goes yoga Mm -hmm. and that's something that you're super de-duper into um you you've done so many um like retreats and courses and stuff where are you with your yoga right now currently so it's it's been challenging with covid um yeah there's there's a lot of um a lot of the people that come and practice with me that were kind of asking for an online forum to practice yoga and were asking if i could teach online classes and i haven't really gone down that road um yeah I I much prefer teaching in person and being able to physically touch touch my students obviously with their permission and I feel like it's it's more intimate and personal that way and I I also like to kind of watch watch the bodies within the class and respond to the way that they're moving and kind of like pick up on their needs so that's that's been a little bit challenging, um, but something that I'm going to be doing um, is I'm going to be recording a yoga, uh, well, four yoga sessions for the Toronto Zoo, which is kind of cool. Ooh, yeah. And do you so? Are do you feel uncomfortable doing it online, or like do you watch videos online for yoga? Um, I don't. Like I to don't do your own, really like, no. Yeah, I don't really watch the online and I know a lot of people really love it and and they I mean I mean right now if if that's all you can get then mm-hmm. then for sure. But I don't know, I'm huge on connection and there's something about sharing physical space with others that I find very powerful. I'm I'm big into energy and I think that I don't know, I I don't get that from the online teaching, but I'm going to be trying it with with the zoo. So we'll see how that goes. That's a good way to think about it. And you're yeah. that's one of the reasons we connected so much is because we are the same that way. Energy is huge um, part of how we read and love people. I can totally get why it wouldn't be your thing. Yeah. Um so like do you do different types? different um I'm not big I mean I take basic yoga so I always would be if I watch online it's always a beginner one like the other day I did Disney princess guided yoga oh that's something something just so simple that Liv and I can do together I don't go hardcore into it I loved hot yoga for a while but what type of yoga is your favorite like what do you what do you think you get the most out of for your body so hot yoga is initially what drew me to yoga and I was like super addicted and I, I used to like practice all of the time and it had to be hot. Um, and then I did yoga teacher training and I started falling in love with more of the uh, quieter and slower practices. So I would say my two favorite practices to teach are yin, which is y- you're holding poses for a longer period of time and it kind of gets, it's a deeper body stretch. Um, so you're holding most poses for at least six minutes, sometimes longer. Wow. Um, and most of them are seated. So it's, it's kind of passive, but um, we, we store a lot of emotion in the tissues of the body. And 
I remember when I first heard this concept, I was like, that's crazy. That doesn't make sense. But the more, the more that I read and the more that I've experienced, I now know this is true. And I've read lots of stuff uh, written by doctors and medical professionals about this. So the thing I love about yin is you're sitting in these poses for a long amount of time and you really do feel that emotional release. And I've seen some pretty crazy um, things happen while I'm teaching, like students having emotional releases that they don't even know why they're experiencing that. And it's based on where where we store emotions in the body. And then when you release that physical tension, it it causes an energetic or an emotional release as well. So that's probably my most favorite type of yoga to teach and to practice. And I also really love restorative yoga. So that's similar to yin and that you're holding poses for a long time, but it's more um, supportive. And if it's, there's little sensation in the body and it kind of invites you into this deep, relaxing state. So it's kind of like meditative in a way. Mm, yeah, wonderful. I love it. All of the times we've spent together, all of the endless hour conversations, and we've never done any yoga together. And I've always thought, yeah, we're going to do some yoga, but we don't. Oh, we should <laughs> next time. Next time. Next time. Next time we'll do <laughs> yoga and we'll actually take a photo of us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, I would my love goodness. that. <laughs> yeah. Some of my, some of my favorite, um, times we're definitely just spent talking to you and how many things we can relate to each other on and our past um our childhood and it's just been so wonderful to know you yes oh I love I love our connection and you are one of the most real people that I know and I I love having like real dialogue with you it's beautiful yes agreed thank you so much (laughs) um uh there's so many things that I want to talk to you about I mean we could be here forever but I'm trying to you know, keep it moving along Uh, as far as what you do for um, your main job is you are a, oh, geez. The kids always say zoologist, but I know that that term isn't uh, correct, but you work for the Toronto Zoo, correct? Yes, I am a zoologist. I do have my uh, degree in zoology. Um, okay, so you must have said that to one of them, and it's just resonated, and that's what they say. Because when they speak yeah. of you in their class and stuff, you know, I always hear Libby, Miss Pizzuto, my <laughs> friend is a zoologist at the Toronto Zoo. Aw, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so you, what do you do there? Um, so my official title is I am a keeper grade four. So I look after the animals, which entails uh, diet preparation, um, cleaning their space, um, training. And because I'm a keeper grade four, it essentially means I'm a lead hand of the keepers that work in my area. So I think my main job in regards to that is just making sure everything is operating smoothly and that everybody's getting along and trying to help my coworkers achieve all of their goals and yeah, make sure everybody's like happy and thriving at work. And you work hand like not only with your coworkers, but you work hands on with the animals. Yes. Yeah. So I have the same job. I do everything that they do. Um, and then just a little bit more in terms of like communication and 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where you're currently, what animals are you working with right now? So I currently work in outreach and discovery. So I work with uh, lots of birds of prey and lot. I work with a donkey and some alpacas and some goats and a rabbit, ferrets. Uh, so it's kind of like a mishmash of animals. So our main job in the outreach and discovery department is doing the shows and we do different training demonstrations and um, anytime there's events on site or events off site, we bring animals to that. And our, our main job is to, is just engaging with the public and hmm. yeah, getting to do cool stuff with the animals, which is always awesome. Yeah. And are you doing that still through COVID or has it been all online? Yeah, we have we haven't really been doing any of that because of COVID. So we've been closed for a really, really long time. Um, There have been periods where we've been open and there's been the drive through. Um, But for the most part, we've we've been closed, which is very bizarre, um, especially for our department, because our whole job is interacting with the public um so in the summer we normally do two shows a day and then we're constantly bringing animals out all day long um to help engage the public and share our passion and love for wildlife and wild spaces so yeah that's that's been a little bit challenging the zoo's been doing lots of facebook lives to try to um engage with the public and Mm -hmm. still still reach people but like i said it's the same with yoga i it's it's a lot harder online and I think it's it's still a great way for us to connect, but I much prefer it in person and you can see the kids' faces light up and you can see that connection happening. You can tell when you're like hitting the mark, which yeah, is nice. For sure. Kids, you know, some kids have um you know, year passes to the zoo. Some kids that's their only time they'll ever be there, but it always is gonna make an impact. My children always remember their experience at the zoo when we when we come and see you so it creates memories and they learn so much and I can just imagine the the looks and the aha moments of kids you've seen their faces light up yes so cool we've been to uh the zoo with you and got this just amazing experience with you and I often think about how you hand fed the hyenas and how much you loved them and how much they loved you. And it was the, a real true connection to an animal. Yes. That one would think, you know, how could you interact with something? So what we think of as vicious. Yes. And you did it so well. It was so great. Have you always loved animals? Yes, I have. Um, yeah, I remember being a kid, my my dad, my dad was always like very much into wildlife and didn't really have fear in terms of that. And it was such a great role model to have growing up because I never had a fear of bees or wasps or insects or anything really. My my dad was always just so calm and confident. And I think I think animal well, I know animals feel energy as well and they respond to all of that. And yeah, I've always wanted to do something animal related. And it took me a while to figure out exactly what that was. But once I started working as a zookeeper, and doing all of that stuff, I was like, No, this is amazing. I love it. And I don't know, I know there's a lot of negative 
ideas about zoos out there but there's a lot of amazing work that that zoos do and they do serve a person purpose mm-hmm. um a lot of the wild habitat is is being destroyed and it's not the same as it used to be um you can read any any like newspaper um or magazine and and find out like all of these animals that are becoming extinct and all of these all, all this habitat destruction so yeah, zoos help with all of that. Uh, the Toronto Zoo helped bring the Vancouver Island Marmot, which was Canada's most endangered mammal, back from the brink of extinction. Mm-hmm. And the population's doing well. And the same with the black-footed ferret. We were one of the major players in that as well. And we've done a lot of work with different species of frogs and snakes. So we do, we do a lot of incredible work that a lot of people don't know about. For sure. It always gets a negative. I've had this conversation with you many times. It was very hard for me to even consider taking them to the zoo the first time that it was that you had asked us when the kid when Franklin was little, because I thought it was I didn't think it was a good thing. Yes. In my head, I couldn't understand why an elephant needed to be in Toronto, Ontario. It didn't make any sense to me. Yes. Um, and that was, this is a, a bullet point that I made um, to talk to you about for sure. So thank you for bringing that up because it needs to be known that, you know, you guys aren't just buying these animals to make profit from the community to show them that this isn't what we're doing here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that, that's another common misconception that we're buying animals or that we're taking animals out of the wild and that's not what's happening. Um, most of the animals in captivity are part of a species survival plan and they're managed and the populations are managed overall. So there's somebody in charge of each of those species and they determine which animal should be bred with which animal to increase genetic diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, So somebody makes those decisions and then we're able to move animals generally within North America because that's easier um, than shipping elsewhere um but yeah we we can take animals from different zoos in the states and breed them and yeah they've they've done lots of uh reintroductions into the wild where animals that were born in captivity are then living lives out in the wild and without zoos that that wouldn't be happening so yeah when you come when you come to the zoo when you pay for admission you're supporting all of that so it is you are supporting conservation and the animals are so well loved and there's there's definitely a governing body that makes sure everything is up to code and we're constantly improving the quality of care that we're providing for them. Right. And this is your zoo, the Toronto Zoo. Yes. Yeah. Right? And I'm glad do, you said that. <laughs> yeah. Because Be- how do we know if, you know, if the word zoo to me, just I don't like the word. It's yes to, because it the, you know why but yes. how do we know what one's good which one's not good so i'm i'm glad you brought that up because i feel like a lot of people have this misconception that zoos are bad and sanctuaries are good and i've seen horrible cases of both and i've seen really great cases of both so i feel we need to just get rid of these labels and look at things objectively so A great way to be able to tell if a zoo is reputable is there's governing bodies. So the 
the main one, the one that has the highest standards is the AZA, which is the American Association of Zoos and Aquariums. So they set criteria that has to be met. There's inspections every year. And this, they, they ensure that a high standard of care is maintained. Um, mm-hmm. There's also a Canadian one, which is CASA. Um, and that has... That's still a governing body, but it has less criteria because Canada doesn't have as many zoos. So there's a little bit more leniency there. Um, but I would say if you're going to a facility that's neither, then it it, it might be questionable. Yeah. There's there not are lots. There are e- lots. Yes, yes. I've I've been to some awful zoos and I think that when you're in the industry, some of the stuff is a little bit more glaring. You pick up on stuff that uh, other members of the public might not notice. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's good to just like use your best judgment and you can always ask questions. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I know at the zoo, I've had lots of people ask me like, do you think this is sad that the animals are kept here? And I love, love those questions. I love when people engage me and give me the opportunity to, talk to what I'm passionate about and educate them about the zoo and the importance of the zoo, because we aren't, we aren't just there for the entertainment aspect. No. Yeah. No, not at all. And the Toronto zoo is such a beautiful place. I mean, if you've never been guys, uh, you need a whole day. Yeah. Entire day to see everything. And it's just a, it really is a fun great place um what were some of your favorite animals you've worked with in the past i know you've, you've worked with basically every type <laughs> yeah there. yeah I've, <laughs> I've i've worked with a lot so i worked with the elephants for a really long time and i was one of the keepers that um accompanied them to california um so that That's was really right. hard yes that was like probably one of the hardest moments of my career um so yeah, the elephants are definitely up there as one of my top favorites and the lions are up there and the hyenas as well. The hyenas are probably my all-time favorite animal. Um, I feel like they're so misunderstood and there's so many interesting things about the hyena that people don't know about. And like you said, I feel like a lot of people watch The Lion King and they think that hyenas <laughs> are evil and that they're they're scavengers and they have this like awful perception of them. And that's not true. Like hyenas, hyenas are predators and they actually kill more of their food than lions which is a fact that most people are shocked to hear because Mm -hmm. of the way that they're portrayed not only in the lion king but in nature documentaries as well so you'll often see what looks like the lions have killed something and the hyenas are stealing it but most of the time they've they're filming the hyenas trying to steal their food back (laughs) (laughs) so lion lions actually steal steal more than the hyenas than the spotted hyena Oh, you... You, there's another fun fact, and and I can't think of it because I've had you've given me the rundown on hyenas before. Um, oh, I have lots of fun facts. There's another them. one about, um, is it penis? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 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 So, let us know. <laughs> so, uh, male 
male and female hyenas both have penises. The females are actually called a pseudo penis, so it's not a true penis, but it's mo- <laughs> I have one of those. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a modified uh, vulva and clitoris that actually looks like a penis and scrotum. Okay. So, it's pretty crazy. Um often members of the public look at you like you're crazy when they're like oh what's this boy's name and you're like it's a girl and her name's Conzi and they're looking at you like okay (laughs) does she even work here because (laughs) because it's very obvious that it looks like a boy so yeah they actually give birth through this organ right Um, yeah so the first the first time they give birth is very challenging and can be very dangerous um And they also, they're a species that can't be raped. The female has to modify the shape of of the pseudopenis to actually be able to be penetrated. So she has to be willing to participate in that, which is like super fascinating and cool. Mm -hmm. So one of the theories behind why the females have pseudopenises is because for them to be able to reproduce and grow babies it's very energetically taxing so they need to be able to eat first um so as a result they think that they just kept having more and more testosterone to be able to challenge the boys and get to eat first Mm. that it resulted in the pseudo penis and the females are generally a little bit larger than the males as well and it's it's a matriarchal society so the females are dominant and the least dominant female is still more dominant than the most dominant male. So it goes Amazing. through all the girls and then all the boys. Yeah, it's super cool. I want to stand up on my soapbox and start clapping right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. They really are interesting and awesome animals. Just like all animals have awesome stories that we don't know about. But, For sure. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit about the um, like sanctuaries and the zoos that might not be good we have one pretty close to us and I I thought about if I was going to say the name but I think people need to know that um, you know just because it's something fun to do with the family doesn't mean that you're you're doing the necessarily right thing so I think everyone should educate themselves before they go to places like um, African lion safaris uh, to say a name is probably not the best idea guys to do also um did you listen happen to listen to that podcast i sent you my friend uh had mm, carol baskin on oh no i haven't had a chance to check that out yet but it okay, is on my yeah. list yeah. yeah check it out it's only about 15 minutes long that's why i like most about his his podcast is short and sweet because mine just could go on forever because i love everyone and i want to talk <laughs> Um, but I will say everyone should listen to this. I will put it in the description of this episode because it gives you a different perspective. There's always two sides to the story. Um, I, I don't know if I've made up my mind about this woman, but it made me kind of think about, uh, you know, the media and what they put out there and what they want you to know. And, but it also gives you a different perspective of, um, that crazy cat lady, if you will. So, Reeves, I think you should check it out. It, it will really be beneficial for you to yeah. hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Do you have any crazy zoo stories? Like, has a has a tiger ever gotten out and, like, eaten a baby? <laughs> <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no, we, I mean, like stuff like that has happened at other facilities, but we've never had anything, anything like too crazy happen. Um, no. And I would think like if it was going to be anything, it would be a primate most more so because they can get out and they're so smart, right? Yes, they are so smart. Yeah. Yeah. I can't can't think of anything. That's a good question, though. You always see, I mean, like it goes again, the media shows you what they want, but you always see those videos of, you know, a a gorilla comforting a baby that fell in or whatever. And I think it also goes, that stems back to how good of a zoo it is. You know, Mm -hmm. things are protected and, you know, the the tiger's not going to smash through the glass at the Toronto Zoo. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. We, we have a um, health and safety committee and we, um, we're, we're starting to have like a lot of dialogue about safety, which is amazing. Like ways that we can improve safety. And, um, yeah, I think, I think it's incredible. We've been making lots of new changes. We, we just got, um, a new CEO a couple of years ago and he's doing an incredible job and yeah, it, it just, it's a very exciting time to be working there because there's a lot of positive things that are happening. That's nice to hear. And I know yeah. you created a really nice friendship with a lot of people that you work with. So that's nice to know, too, that you have that little community there to support you yeah. as a friend. Yeah. Um. So before I get we talk about um, some other stuff, I want to kind of break up this convo with some random questions. Are you open to that? Yeah. Yay. Okay. Love it um of course you know i have to ask this uh what's your favorite book (laughs) oh (laughs) of many we share many books together not like share our books but share book titles so i'm eager to hear what your favorite book is Hmm. if you even can come up with one (laughs) that is so hard i read so much and i i read everything so yeah i don't know um I really like historical fiction. So Pachinko was a book that I read kind of recently. And I really liked that. Um, The Orphan Master's Son was also historical fiction. And that was really good. Um, Mm. That was about North Korea. Ooh. Yeah. So there was like a lot of. I I think you've told me about that one. Was that from a person, one man's perspective? Uh, Maybe not yes yes okay yeah 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 so there was like a lot of stuff that I learned about North Korea that I didn't know and I really love that like I think that's why I like historical fiction because I'm learning stuff but you're also engaged in like a really good story mm-hmm. um Haruki Mirakami I don't even know if that's how you pronounce his name but he's a Japanese author and he's one of my favorites I mm. I love his stuff it's mm-hmm. It's kind of out there, like that you're reading it and you can tell it it was written by somebody from Japan because it's very different than anything I've read um, from North American authors. Right. Which is which is cool. Definitely cool. It's different different read for sure. Yeah. Um if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? Oh, that that's also really good. Um, I think I don't know, I would encourage people to be more loving and kind to each other and to really 
really get in touch with themselves. I think that we've become so obsessed with outside distraction and TV and cell phones and technology that that people aren't spending time getting to know themselves. And I think that there's a huge disconnect. And I don't know, like moving your body and reading and like sitting with your thoughts, like Mm -hmm. it's magical and so transformative. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Very well said. I couldn't agree more. Um, On that note, describe your life in one word. Uh, Challenging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I think I would say challenging. But you know what? Like, I think... (laughs) I think... I'm grateful for all of the adversity and challenges that I faced in life because that's, that's what builds care builds character. And that's what um, causes you to grow. You don't, you don't grow when you're in a place of comfort growth happens uh, when you're pushed out of your comfort zone or when you step out of your comfort zone. So Mm -hmm. I kind of, I kind of love that and any opportunity for, for me to grow and challenge myself and prove that I can do something like I love it. Mm Mm-hmm yeah and yes 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 it's good um good content for a novel in the future too or or a biography yes (laughs) yes do you like clowns do I like clowns um I don't know I've never I've never really thought about it um I would probably say no And I'm not, I'm not afraid of them or anything, but it's just, I don't know, like the whole performance of anything like, like that kind of makes me uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because it's like fake happiness in a way. I I don't know. (laughs) It is. (laughs) But I, I do, I do like the idea that like that can bring like joy to children and stuff, but I, I don't know. I feel like when people put emotions on that always as, as an empath, I feel like that makes me uncomfortable because there are times where you can feel it and you're like, Oh, that person's not happy. They're just pretending they're happy. And that makes me more uncomfortable than anything. I think. Oh, those people are hard to be around, clown oh, or not. I've been yeah. around those people for so many years of my life, and it's as, it's as though it's they drain you. Oh, Speaking it's of energy, sucking. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our, our energy is easily drained. So you're, um, it's funny because you're an Aries, which is all the people that I right? Yes, Correct? yes, yes. Because yep. all the people that are closest to me, uh, my husband, my mother, uh, you. And I mean closest as far as know me best um, are all that in Aries. It's it's so interesting to me that that like that that happened. Yeah, I love so, that. Um, and you you have you share the bir- same birthday as my Oma, who I just was so close to me as well. So there, there's no coincidence there that the energy is supposed to be. I, I'm drawn to Aries folks. Yeah, I love. <laughs> I was. Um, how we know each other is you were married to my husband's cousin. Yes. And, um, we, we spoke about this before and you're, you're feeling open to speaking about it. I think it's important, um, that you share your story so that women or men or whomever 
mm-hmm. you are know that you're not alone. Um, yes. We've had, I mean, some of the, like I said earlier, the most amazing, beautiful times I spent was with my husband and you and, and your your ex-husband. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that and your relationship and how it kind of went from being this amazing um, thing where we all looked up to you and him tremendously, uh, especially Thomas and I, you were, you were a huge part of um, what made us who we were. Um, Yeah, no, thank you. And um, there's an actual title for this, which is wife abandonment syndrome. Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. So if you, would take the the stage and talk a little bit about that if you if you will yes yeah so I was with my ex-husband for 10 years and in November of 2019 there was a random day that he came home and he seemed very disengaged and um I was trying to talk to him and he wasn't engaging with me at all so I went and hung out in the hot tub for a bit just to kind of get my energy back to neutral because it was definitely being impacted by that. And I came back in the house and tried talking to him again and nothing. And uh, I said to him, do you want a divorce? And he said, yes. And I, I was floored. I, I tried talking to him about that after he said that. And he said he didn't want to talk about it. He wanted to go to bed and that he was going to, um, he had to be up early for work in the morning. And I said, you're going to work. And he said, yes. So um, I let him go to sleep. And then he got up in the morning to go to work. And I tried talking to him again. And he said he was going to his mom's house for a couple of days And if he wanted to talk to me, he would be in touch. Otherwise, just leave him alone. And he would, I guess, reach out to me at some point. So he left. And I had no idea what was happening or what to do with any of this information. Because up until that point, there had been no indication that he was unhappy. Um, I'm a big talker. I talk about my feelings. I talk about everything. And everybody that knows me knows that. So it was kind of shocking to be having this type of experience when you are a communicator and you pride yourself on how how good of a communicator you are. So I let him be for three days and then I still didn't hear from him. So I called him and he didn't answer. And then he called me back and said that it was over. So, yeah, it was like earth shattering like that. Because you have to remember that, I mean, when I say we looked up to you, it was because that you were you were both something to look up to. And based on all those tremendous long conversations you and I have had, there was, I mean, not that I'm saying you would have told me, but never. No, I was would have. <laughs> there, right. You would have said, you know, Maddie and I are having issues or this is what we need to work on. The love that we saw in everyone saw in the two of you was there and he did he not um up until the day before that um you know did you guys not have a wonderful evening 
Yeah, yeah. So like, and that was crazy. Like two two days before he left, he like bought all of my favorite foods and cooked like a beautiful dinner and we had wine and like laughed and joked around and he told me that he was so lucky to have me and that he was going to try really hard to be like a, a better husband and yeah that that I was his best friend and that I meant the world to him and he didn't want to lose that which is which was like kind of well, it was very confusing. So you're left going, well, what, what is even happening? Like, is he just really stressed out? Is he going through a midlife crisis? And I think, I think that that like prolonged the healing process as well, because you're still holding out hope. You're still like, well, this doesn't make sense. Like he has to, there has to be something wrong. And like, there were points where I even thought like, does he have a brain tumor like this? There has to be a reason for this. This doesn't make sense. So yeah, I had, um, his cell phone was in my name. So after all of that happened, I had checked the cell phone records and there was one number that kept coming up repeatedly. Um, yeah. And it was this, this girl that he worked with. So when I had talked to him after, after everything had ended, I, I had said, is there another woman? And he had said no. And then I told him that I knew that there was, and, um, yeah, we, we had dialogue about that. And he, he told me that, that there was another woman that two weeks before he left, he started, um, telling her that he wanted, he said that he told her he wanted to play an, a more active role in her life. So they continued talking. And then um, the night before he ended things, they were out at a bar together celebrating a co-worker's birthday. And they they kissed in her minivan after. So, yeah, like that's all really devastating stuff to hear. It, it's devastating stuff to hear because you, like you said, are, are an A1 communicator. So it was always... you were communicating with him asking him and he was he was making sure that you knew there was nothing wrong there was never anything wrong yes that's the point and that's where the abandonment syndrome comes is because you never had any kind of you guys never even fought no no right like okay occasionally we would have like a disagreement about something but it was never prolonged it was never days and days it was like we would fight about something and then an hour later everything would be fine and that even was like super rare so after all of this happened I was like struggling a lot and I started doing because I love reading and I love learning and I need to know I started doing research online like okay, like, have other people had this experience? And I found this book called Runaway Husbands. And this, this woman wrote it, she had, like, the same thing happened to her. So she started um, gathering all of this information from other women that had had a similar experience. And I ordered the book, and it was super helpful reading this, because it was like, this book was written for me. Everything was, all of these women had had such a similar experience. Like one of the things was even um, most of the men, and it, it was generally men that, that were doing this, but there were some women that had done this as well. Um, and most of, most of the people that left, left 
three months prior to Christmas and my ex-husband left in November. Mm-hmm. Um, all of all of the people that had this happen said that there was no signs. Their relationship was like perfect and or seemingly perfect. And then um, another another thing that stood out was when when the partner finally said it's over there was finality to that statement it was generally they said it's over there was no dialogue there was no let's let's go to therapy so it went from no indication that anything was wrong to it's over yeah so i that that helped so much because when something like that happens you like you blame yourself and you feel so so awful like Mm -hmm. all of the awful things so that yeah, that that really, really, really saved me Re- reading that and going, okay, other people have had this happen. This isn't me. And it took me, oh, that was like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it took me a long time to let go of that and to stop blaming myself. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. I can't, I can't say I at all can relate because I can't, but um, I, what have I noticed the complete difference after you read that book that and that's yeah. why I want I thought it would be important for you to say it is because when you tell your story it helps other people for sure and that yeah. that's one of the things the main things for me is like most people don't talk about divorce and even when people do most people don't say my partner was like left me for another person because like there's a lot of shame associated with that And like, I want to share my story because that is not my shame. That is, that is like what he did. And I honestly believe now that that would have happened regardless to who he was married to, because I think he has a lot of trauma as well. And I don't even think he knows that. I think that he doesn't know how to communicate and how to have hard conversations. Right. And that there was like signs of that throughout my marriage that I just wasn't picking up on because he was telling me everything was fine and everything seemed fine right yeah yeah and it's uh it's hard to I would say to be somebody as active um actively working on yourself actively working on your mental physical health you're growing constantly and you want to travel and you want to expand and I you know, somebody who didn't have that same goal, maybe, and yes. maybe he was intimidated too, because you're constantly growing. And I don't know that he had the ability to do that as of yes. right now in his life anyway. I'm glad you brought that up, Candace, because I think that that was a big thing that it took me a really long time to come to terms with was I had changed and he hadn't. So I, I, signed up for yoga teacher training and did all of that. And then my dad died and I started going down this rabbit hole of, of transformation and personal reflection and analyzing my own traumas and why I am the way that I am and Mm -hmm. working on being the best version of myself that I could be. And you're right. Like, I think that that's really hard as a man to be around a woman that's stepping into her power. If you're not. Yes. Yeah. Totally, I yeah, yeah. But it I, feels I'm sad for him. 
Yes. And I, I can feel that now, like it took me a long time. Like you go through all the different stages of grief because it is grief. And, uh, yeah, it took me a long time to like release the anger. It took me a long time to get to the anger stage. And then it took me a long time to release that, but it feels good now being on the other side. And I do feel sad for him and I do feel compassion for him again. And I, I, a year ago, I didn't think I, I would be at this point, but yeah, it's it's been pretty amazing. Like, I feel like you've moved on as far as, you know, I think that was big step for you was to move on as far as where you were living. Oh, yes. <laughs> create a space, create a space that's your own. Yes. You know, and I mean, think if you think about it, the universe is providing, um, this path for you and right now your path is to help your sister who's poor I feel for her always has medical struggles and it's nice that you're able to be there be close I think I think all of this happened for a reason oh I agree so much Candace like uh I wouldn't I don't think I would have been able to be there in the same capacity if I was still married um yeah like, I know you would have tried because your family is everything, but really, in all honesty, it, it wouldn't have been the same. No. You would have been stretched too thin. And unfortunately, um, what happened with your marriage was sad and it was hard, but I mean, you're only given what you can handle. And I really think it's going to make your end story that much sweeter, really. Yes, I feel like that too. Yeah, and I admire you for how strong you were through it and how honest and open you you have been about it. Thank uh, you. It's really important in the healing process. You're doing all of the all of the work. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I think and I like that you said that. That is to me that's the most important part about healing is letting yourself feel it all and letting go of of the shame. You know, like being vulnerable and like being strong are are my two major driving forces and I think there's nothing more vulnerable than than talking about the stuff that most people like hide in the closet you know yeah this is true but but that's that's how you grow and that's how that's how you let it go because if you don't if you don't go through this if you don't have the difficult conversations if you don't cry about it if you don't release it if you don't let go of that shame and guilt and and all of it then it it ends up manifesting as like illness or disease in the body and you you feel like garbage yeah and that goes back to your yoga practice too you're holding trauma and um, it's all energy, girl. All of it is energy and matter. That's Absolutely. what it is. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, um, well, first, I just want to thank you again so much for talking about that. There's so much, so much strength in what, in all the stuff you just said. Thank you so um, much for listening. And you, mm-hmm. yeah, you've, you've been, you've <laughs> been a rock for me so much. And I don't know, you were one of the people that I thought I was going to lose during the separation. And I am so glad I got to keep you. i'm here forever Uh, can we talk a little bit before we're done about the death doula your death yes Yes. so what do you first of all do you think do you think this experience that you went through with your with your marriage do you think it had an impact on why i don't know why but i feel as though maybe you wouldn't have done this 
had mm-hmm. you not gone through what you went through. I don't know why it's not really related, but maybe no, you can... I I feel like that's accurate, and I've been thinking about about that a lot randomly as well, and I haven't been able to pinpoint why. Um, but I don't know. It's it's been interesting taking this course because the way that my marriage ended. It was like a grief. It was like my husband had passed away. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of interesting healing that's been happening just taking this death doula course and talking about grief and the elements of that and different books that I've read. But the main the main thing that drew me to take the death doula course was when my dad died. Uh, it will be five years tomorrow. So yeah, my dad was like, wow my rock and like oh, yeah such an important person in my life yeah and when he died i don't know it just it makes you realize how disconnected most people are from death in north america uh we most people can't even talk about it like there are, there are so many people i know that you you start bringing up death at all and they completely shut down they're like i can't talk about this i can't think about it yeah. And I find it interesting that so many people have this unhealthy outlook on death when it's it's inevitable. Like it's it's going to happen to everybody. There's there's no avoiding it. And it's interesting that like so many people don't even want to think about something that is a hundred percent going to happen to them. And that made me want to take this course to help other people come to terms with their mortality and to have more dialogue about it and to help people transitioning from life to death and help, yeah. help their loved ones help their it, loved ones as well okay yeah yeah it's like a very very beautiful thing so a death doula essentially like you you go you get hired to assist and you can do there's lots of different aspects of it so it you, your job can be ensuring that they're getting adequate care in wherever they are. Um, It can be doing funeral arrangements after um, helping support the family, um, helping the dying one to come to terms with that, speaking to them about their life achievements, life regrets. Um, One thing they talked about is a lot of people when they're dying, find it easier to open up to somebody else because it's a neutral person. There's no attachment. So yeah. And a lot of, a lot of people, when somebody's dying, it's weird because a lot of loved ones then don't talk to them about that. They don't say, how do you feel about the fact that you're dying? Because they're, they're too scared about it as well. Yeah. So I think that that's sad that people are dying daily without being able to open up about what they're nervous about. And they're, they're dying in that like tense state. They're not, they're not fully embracing it. Yeah. Cause they're scared. Yeah. Yeah. When it's really a beautiful thing. What's on the other side. Yeah. Fear is such an incredible motivator and so many people are driven by fear and I don't know. One of the one of the things that people say on their deathbeds is like, I, re- I regret not not doing these things. And the reason that stops people from doing the things is is fear. So I don't know. It's been transformative for my life as a whole. And I, I kind of just do what I do what I want now. It's like I, I when you kind of lose it all. 
when you feel like there's nothing left to lose, you kind of just embrace who you are and you're not afraid to like show up and be seen and be heard. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it took me a long time to get to this point in my life, but I'm here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's been a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, you you don't seem like a different person. I won't say that, but you seem, um, you seem like your higher self now. Yes. Yes. You know, um, more confident. Yes. I feel more confident. I feel, I feel like I'm on a different energy level now as well. I, I used to be constantly looking for external validation and I feel like I I don't anymore. I I get that internally. And I think that that was like, to this point in my life, one of the greatest things that has ever happened to me is coming to that, to that point where I don't need validation from others. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, something that I think most people don't even think that they need to work on. Yes. I agree with that. Um, achieving self-love first is tough to do but not all of us think to do that we think to do and think for others and not for ourselves yes and that's where we get um confused and that's how we don't some people don't really ever find who they truly are and unfortunately sometimes it takes a really shitty thing to happen for Mm -hmm. for you to experience that but or for yeah, for you to experience your higher self, but isn't it so wonderful when it does happen? Oh, it is. It is. And again, like all of the awful things, like my dad dying, my marriage ending, like all of that are stepping stones bringing you to that higher place. Yeah. Yeah. You're well, on your way there, my friend. Woo. Well, thank you for talking to me. Thank you. And coming on and being so vulnerable. And um, I look really look forward to the next time you and I can be in the same room so I can hug you. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. I miss, I miss hugs. <laughs> I miss hugs too. All right, girl. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks again. Thank you, Candace. Okay. Bye. Bye.